This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. Long question. There's four more, but we'll only ask the first. What is the role of doubt and faith? Is it inevitable? Can one arrive at 100% certainty that the Torah is divine? If not, can one be 99.99% sure? For someone who says he is 80 to 90 percent sure, what does that indicate about the person? Um, <laughs> it's a little <loaded> question. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> Thank you. I think, first of all, I think we need. There's a problem. Reflecting on yourself is a positive meter. Um, the Musa's firm are full of, of, the, of the need to reflect on yourself, and anyone who doesn't reflect on himself is not going to grow and not going to change, and so on and so forth. So, reflecting on yourself is a very positive meter. It also has a downside where you start getting involved in a, in a mind trick. Like, you know, if, if you ask yourself a. a is, am I really walking like normal? Is it, re- it really at this, you know, and, and, and the more you ask, the more you'll start limping. And, and you run into, in, into those type of circular problems that you inflict yourself with your internal doubts. So the first question, just, just this, it's something like faith, which is very difficult to quantify. I don't know if it's possible to quantify it, so we start running to, into this trick. So do I really, really believe, or, or maybe I think that I really believe, or I really think that I really believe? It, it, it becomes this, at some point it becomes an endless loop. So, so it's a type of question that you need to sort of be wary about how you think about it. it by nature, the the I would like to put Amuna into the same category as other mitzvahs where you don't find perfection as such you always find a striving for perfection and and that's the that's really the, the, the that would be our assumption as being um, our default setting the Balatanya speaks about different madregas in in Ruchnius and you know, from the person who never does an Avera to the person that's perfect, there's a long way off because he never does an Avera, he never wants to do an Avera, he never could want to do his Avera. It just keeps, you know, there are so many shades of it. So I would say, in terms of Amuna, a person needs to be comfortable that if his senses, if, if his sense built on things is that this is right. Then, then it's a progression. Then he will keep moving forward, think about things, see things, um, buttresses Amuna, but not ever, uh, not looking for hundred percent because I don't know if it exists, and it's certainly not healthy to keep questioning yourself, to keep you know to keep measuring it again and again and again. That's what I feel. Okay, uh, what are the biggest challenges that a young Balchu or old ones uh, run into life after yeshiva? How can we prepare for them now? What should we keep in mind for the future? First of all, I don't know why you think the problem is restricted to Bali Tshuva. <laughs> it's restricted to anybody in yeshiva, <laughs> and I'll tell you why. <coughs> it, it, a yeshiva environment 
the type of yeshivas, especially that we have, it's not even college to real life is a stretch because college is somewhat of an idealized. You know, I'm talking about a college course, not college life. Uh, it's an idealized version of things. Um, a yeshiva is an idealized version of life, and it exists only in yeshiva. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 actually one of the great. Um, I, I would say it's a subtle crisis in many in in the from world in the Haredi world is that almost everybody goes to a yeshiva. We we understand that a yeshiva need to be a place that's not a training ground for life afterwards, but an ideal situation in its own right. It's a bubble of Harsinai, and Kleiser went through a bubble of Harsinai before he went on towards this role. S- but how do you make the transition? And and a how do you transition the truths of Torah into reality? Um, what's the appropriate translation of the different things that you do there? We don't know exactly. I have in Bayasni Yeshiva, where we know that most of the boys are going out to professional lives. We always have the issue, and, and now I started. We started a group with our alumni, and we've been around 18 years or so. And to meet once every few weeks to to pick certain issues and discuss them, um, and so on. And and I was I was I was myself taken aback at how strong of a bikush, how strong. Of, of, of a need there was it was felt that people needed it so it certainly is a cri- it's a crisis for anyone in yeshiva about shuva has added issues that he needs to readjust because of the people who tend to be rebellion figures are as idealized people like wonderful wonderfully great people <laughs> and, um, and 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 you sort of extrapolate that this is what other people look like we had a very kind of cute uh, incident there was a fellow by us in yeshiva who got engaged to a girl from atlanta and she came down very very nice girl and she said you know she only knew two types of people before she came to silver spring um balachuva and Rabban, and Rabbanim. She didn't know there was like a third category, Balabatim, that like I'm neither Rabbanim nor Balachuva, but they're just uh, stumped from people. Uh, like she said, it was the first time she met uh, uh, people like that. Th- th- so you, you begin to realize, and you look and you say, whatever flaws any human being has, sometimes it's pronounced. You begin to, another thing, there's a crisis. So you see people doing things that you wouldn't have expected. You didn't see it by your Bayim, but you saw it by other people. You also ha- you start to grapple with another phenomena. All of all of you could not have become religious unless you wanted, understood what it's about, grappled with it, and have a real connection. It, it, it was it, it was a road. It was uphill, and by the laws of physics, you needed to exert energy to get there. But somebody who's born on top of the hill. And he's just there because he never sweated his way up. And he has a commitment to it, a strong commitment, but none of the proactive commitment you have is a puzzle. Um, and that's something that requires an adjustment to try to understand that community, that society. At the end of the day, you need to fit into that society somewhere. Um, and that's, those, those are two big issues that I think, in, in, on, a, on, a, on a personal level, that people who are Balichuva especially face when they, when they try to integrate with the rest of the communities. Okay. What is the... 
What is the biggest lesson, idea, or piece of advice that you want to pass over to your children, the future generation? <laughs> you know, <laughs> when my when one of my daughters got married recently, a few years ago, seven eight years ago, so uh, that last night she, she was home, and my wife said, "Well, tell her the um, you know tell her some meaningful piece of advice, like she's getting married tomorrow and whatever, something like that." And I said, <laughs> I sketched and I said, you know, we've been together 21 years. I, if I, if we haven't succeeded, I can't think of any <laughs> one meaningful sentence that would be there. It, it, it's, it's, you know, as you said, it, it's very hard. It, it's for someone who's born from, lived from life. So the outside activities are fairly common. It's something about the inner sense of the approach to it. The sense of the quality of it and 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 the nisham of it, and those things are very hard really to put into words. I, I could not put in a sentence, and that like like I really you know, it's 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 a flavor that you can that you feel is right, and you would like your children to think about that and 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 to have that type of flavor. But I, I would have a hard time putting words to it. That's the truth. I don't know. Uh, this is this is asked by those who've been listening to the the Sunday night cheer. Why is the Rambam so obsessed with Nebuah? Because we're dealing here with something that is... Yiddishkeit and Torah is based on the premise that it's God's word that's really significant because man is not smart enough, good enough, wise enough on his own to to get to the truth. So we have um, our Torah today is all about people arguing and talking about Torah versus Christianity and Islam. Christianity and Islam both came along and said, well, the rabbis were human beings who were arguing and discussing laws that obviously fall short of a prophecy of our great prophet Jesus or Muhammad. And it's for us today, since the Goyim are not religious, the, the, we're not terribly religious, and therefore it's not a, Christianity or Islam is not a great draw. But, but in his days, um, where religion was very powerful, and you were the underdog, you were living in a community, whether it was Christian or, or, or Muslim, where you were trash, and their God was doing the great wonderful things. And, and you needed to ask yourself, hasn't God spoken to him? If you hear time and again, you know, God spoke to him, why weren't you listening? Where were you? And the message is here, you know, open your ears, open your heart. It, it's powerful when you're the underdog and, and, and uh, my wife was, is Israeli, she speaks English well, but, but she, she, you know, she, her, her, her American cultural experience is from Jew, Jewish Brooklyn. So she, she wasn't, she, when she, we first moved to America, she would shop in the mall, and she would hear the music around holiday time. She didn't know what it was, and didn't. As as she got more familiar, and she started getting the words and the terms and things like that, she, she became like horrified. It's it's like you know you're sitting, and 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 that was a real struggle. T today we have less of a struggle because they're not strong enough. So he needed to be very clear on both points. This is the f crucial point that's dividing religion 
from philosophy is the concept of a God speaking to man. And we have, on the other hand, two prophets, two people with claims to prophecy that are peddling their wares and they're really trying to get us I- I- I into it. Uh, how do we know, we, 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 we ended up in this yeshiva, how do you know these are the right yeshiva or the right derech and not Bretzlav? Well, that's obvious, though, we don't know. No, no. <laughs> yeah, so so let, let, me, let, me, let me address that question, because it's also in the gift. A firm kid will ask me, this will be a typical question, how do I know this is right? That's a very, very a, a common question. So one possibility is to try to list every alternative and slug it up. Uh, good luck. That's uh, you know, but 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 the honest the, the honest way of addressing that question will be as follows. Every, every one of us will be living in a certain place at some time. I live in Silver Spring. Somebody will come along and say, "How do you know that's the best setup?" Um, it may be Topeka, Kansas is a much better place to live. I, um, do I need to explore Topeka as well? I'd have to then go to Honolulu. I have to go to Fiji Islands, I'd have to try New Zealand, I'd have to try, I, I would spend my life, not that I have the money to spend, running around from place to place. It's not, it's, it's like the Ramam says, it's not a question of Chachma. If somebody would ask me, how do you know being a rabbi is the best profession? Well, so I'd have to try being a doctor. Well, I know a doctor, a lawyer. And somebody's married. I know this woman is the best wife you could have. So, a question is a tool. So what are the appropriate, when is the appropriate time, so let's say I happen to visit somebody in Topeka, Kansas, and wow, the, 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 the lifestyle over there and, and the and accommodation, everything about it is, gr- is great. That should ask me a question, maybe I should move there. Um, somebody asked me to fill in as, I don't know what, selling pizza, and I really like it. So now I need to ask myself, maybe that's, a, that's something else. Or, um, I'm very unhappy. I'm not happy where I'm living. I'm not happy with what I'm doing. I need to start looking. But looking and question are a tool. So if a person, if a person, let's look at religion. If a person wanted to honestly explore all the truths in the world, if the only way to find the right religion for you is to explore every single person, our days would end in the religious would First of all, just like it's taking you a long time to learn to get into Jewish, into Yiddishkeit, if you had to go and explore Islam, you really needed to learn. Um, you really, you really needed to learn Arabic really well, and then you would say to yourself, "One second, Islam also has a lot of shitas. Are we Sunni? Are we Shia? Salafist?" Uh, uh, you know, w- w- what type of jihad do we want to belong to? Everyone says the other one's a kofir. You know, it, it, the Muslims <laughs> also have a lot of Muslims that are going to Gehenim. And what about Christians? I, I mean, you know, forget about the Even the major Christian groups are a lot. What, what about Eastern religions? Buddhism is not one religion. Buddhism is many, many groups and subgroups. The big boat, small boat is, it, it's like, you know, and, and this, is, this is reading as an outsider, a smattering. So there's no way I could ever, what I could do is one or two things. I happen to, by some misfortune, to be in like in a, in a, in a, in a in Warrensburg or someplace like that, and it looked really nice, and you liked Chavez, and like Tzitzis and Phil, and it was, it was something that had a lot to it, so one needs to explore it. Or one is very unhappy to where he is, and he says there needs to be something more to life than this. It's true about anything else 
if, if a person were to see, were, were to be where he is and he's really unhappy, you know, and, and the, if the reasonable amount of time he's unhappy, then looking someplace else is, is a seichelika um, move. If a person saw, if a person was, was friendly with a breast lover or, or, or anything, anybody of any type, and he really sees the positive, and no one can explain to him any negative about it. It's, it seems to be good. He, he you know, wets his feet, looks into it. So, the, the, it, it's just to say, how do we know on these issues? Since we can't resolve it, by it, 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 it would it would basically paralyze us for the rest of our lives. So we recognize that these are things that we start with a default setting, and so somebody who's from a kid who goes up from, and he's happy and adjusted. The question, how do I know something else is not? It, it, it's, it's, that question is not a tool for anything, not a tool for knowledge, not a tool for anything. A person can read about different things, that's fine. But, but to, to explore it in a serious way, that, that, that would never give him the right thing, because his life would be over way before he could finish everything. Um, so either if you're profoundly unhappy, feel something's missing, you begin to look. Or um, you happen, Hashkoch puts you in a place, you happen to dive in a, in, in a garish stable, and you say to yourself, well, th- there's a lot here. I'm going to start coming more often. I'm going to start exploring. I'm going to start seeing. What's the plus? Are there any downsides to it? What do I see people? It, it has to be a process where a person um, absorbs it. There are many ideas held to be true in American society that are counter to the Torah perspective. Can you share with us those that come to mind where Jews in America are prone to, quote, fall into the trap, even unwittingly? What Torah true ideas are misapplied or commonly un- misunderstood by Jews in America? Everything. <laughs> well, the, the, <laughs> no, the, 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 tr- the truth is, but let's take an example. And, and I want it to be, I, I want to be understood that I'm talking about a certain ideal versus a reality. We, we grow up with the sense of democracy being the ideal state of, of things. The answer to that is definitely not, on two levels. One, the, the America, America is about, there is no, the, the American um, ideology is that, that there is no nation except that we all do whatever we feel like doing. It's a fantastic setup. Believe me, I, I, I enjoy the fruits of it, and I, I can't think of myself wanting to live someplace else. But that means there's no real American nation. It, it, a nation needs to have a core positive principle. Um, it, it's French have, there's a certain French characteristic, whatever it is, if you can put your finger on it, maybe infidelity or something like that, but, 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 but there's a certain core value that, that you can put your finger on it, or say beauty, aesthetic, something like that, that you can say is the value, and in a nation for that. America doesn't have that. It never had it. It was a place where people could come and be left alone. So it's a nation of individuals. As a setup, it's fantastic. So, one. Two, so, so when you have a nation where there's a clear... Um, essence of what the nation is, and the, your, people are formed there, and that's when people have the fallacy that Israel should be like American in terms of freedom of religion and so on, it, well, then Israel is another American. We don't need another American. America is big enough, bigger, better, wealthier, 
calmer than Israel, and if, and, if, and if the core of what we are is just a place everybody can do their own thing, it exists. It's called the United States of America, and you can, you can get whatever you want there. You know, there hot climate, cold climate, French culture, Spanish culture, anything you want. The, the, if you're talking about a Jewish state, it's going to be restrictive, because as soon as you give it a characteristic, any time, when, when you have a piece of clay and you made nothing out of it, it its potential is everything. When you start forming something out of it, you're limiting it. Two, a democracy is inefficient. It also, it also allows the stupidest elements of society and, and, and the, the, the shrewest elements of society to run the show. The ideal government is Malchus, is a king who is supported by wise people and doing the good. Unfortunately, on the practical level, um, there's almost never existed a being like that. Even Kalal we had a handful of three or four kings that were great, and Kalal thrived, but it was David, but it was Shlomo, without whatever issues Chazal point out, Kiskyo, Yeshua, that was it. I mean, you go through Tanakh, it's, it's depressing that the most kings, I remember as a kid learning it, I said to myself, wow, the good guys are outnumbered by the bad guys real big time. I mean, I mean you know, the, the, the one after another, they, they were bad, the Malachim. So I certainly would not look forward to a dictatorship, certainly not to a monarchy, but the reality is, when I'm mispalel, a semach davadat it means I'm looking for a, a, a monarchy. A monarchy means that I can focus, I can have my energies harnessed and focused by the best and the brightest. So just like my mind should decide where my hands and feet should be, I would like to be part of a movement where I feel that that the one spearheading it is 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 the best. Um, that's very not American. In America, we grow up with the fallacy that a town hall meeting produces the best results. It produces maybe the fairest results. In other words, anything other than that, Churchill once said it. You know, democracy is, is not a great form of government, but but everything else is worse. I'm, I'm not proposing it that I would think smart, but but I you know after having been through enough shul meetings and town meetings. I, I can tell you, it's it's like it's sometimes frustrating when people really know what they're talking about. They, you know, talk. It's 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 like you know people who are completely. I see, especially like in schools, you have parents who really don't know much about education. The, this one says you should this or that, and you say to yourself, but you don't really know much about it. You've never taught. You have never been in shiva, possibly. So it's not a great. But those are ideas that are alien to us. The idea of mm. what's this world about. Um, in, 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 in the idea that of retiring, America is built around retiring. Uh, one of the rebbeim in our yeshiva got an offer from American Express. He has an American Express credit card. You get an hour free with your financial advisor, with a financial advisor. So if you get it for free, you know who, who, you, you never reject anything I got for free. <laughs> so you know there's, there's a famous story. Somebody once came. Somebody, a salesman, he's trying to sell a guy an elephant. So he says, I tell you, I don't need an elephant. He says, you don't know, it might come in handy. He says, where am I going to keep an elephant? I have an apartment in three rooms. Where am I going to keep an elephant? He, he, he says, you know, you, you can push out the wall, maybe keep him there. He, he said, but what am I going to feed him? It's going to cost me a fortune. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. The idea makes no sense. Leave. So I said, I'll tell you what. I'll give it to you for free. So he says, I'll take two of them. <laughs> so so he, he was offered, a, a financial advisor would come and give him an hour for free. Now, nothing's for free, but I come, the guy comes down, and this is a Rebbe Basi, Shiva, very typical, and 
He says the first thing he says when we plan, we're going to, we need to plan your retirement. So he said, I'm not planning to retire. I'm, you know, I, I, I aim to sit in the base measures till they carry me out. He said, no, no, you're not planned well for your time. We have to start with your time. He says, no. He said, what I need is to marry my kids, and they should sit and learn. He says, what? We have to start with your time. And, and, but that's what it is. It's, it's all focused on the life afterwards, on the golden years, on this and that and the other thing. We don't have that feeling. It, it, it's, it's counter. Our feeling is, you know, today, our today is to do. Um, if, we, if, if, we, if we can't do anything, we need to be taken care of, God forbid, so I hope somebody will take care of me. But, but, but it's not something I'm looking forward to. I was only speaking actually to a from oncologist. Um, uh, he was my father's oncologist, and a, a wonderful man. I think he might have been about Shuva. A, a, a very, very special person. And I told him, you know, Dr. So-and-so, I said, you know, he's, he looked like a little bit of an older person, you know, I think of retiring. He said to me, you know what? He said... I help people all day long, and and, and I and I, and I and I get satisfaction from the work I do, and and you know from using my head and so forth. I should leave that and go fishing. What, 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 does it make sense? This is this is what I this is what I was sent here to do. And this is what I want to do. And this is what I accomplish. Those are those are ideals, ideas that are alien to us. So so a lot of the, a lot of the the sense of society that 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 America has or Western world has is alien that way. Hmm. The concept of being a light unto the nations is a large task. How much of a priority is the fulfillment of this idea in the Jewish world today? In what ways are we progressing in the accomplishment of this goal? How does today's generation compare to those who came before us? Maybe I'll just put this in front of you. (laughs) (laughs) I, 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 I mean, to become a light unto the nations... I think the first, we need to worry more about the life part than the nation's part. Mm-hmm. In other words, if people in Kali Yisrael looked, acted as a, um, as a from person should act, that a word was a word no matter what, and that you, that you can trust them blindly, that, that the person himself is not ostentatious, the person himself is interested only in, in, in Ruchnisti values, and everything about the person was Kula Omer integrity, then then we would be light nations. I want to share a story that I, I'm surprised why it didn't make it, why the headlines didn't, why didn't make it bigger. Um, it's an authentic story. I'll tell you the, the source. I'll tell you the person who said it. There was a, a, a CD put out by Gurus Yisrael about the escape to Shanghai. It's about the Mir Yeshiva. The Mir Yeshiva was the biggest yeshiva in Europe. Uh, arguably the, the most significant one, one of the most, uh, you know, Sabatka was very big, but Mishima World War II, their escape route was miraculous. Um, they, they, someone found, no one had a passport, no one had a visa, two problems, and, and, and there was no place to go to. You know, there, no, but no country was letting anybody in, and it was a hurdle. It was, it was, and they were headed to, 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 to destruction. Somebody f- had a passport, a Dutch passport, and he, he, heard, he found out that there was an island in, in the Caribbean, Carasso, it's all Venezuela, that doesn't need a visa. It's a, it was a Dutch property, didn't need a visa. So he asked the Dutch consul to give him a visa. He said, they don't need a visa. Can't give so they found some sort of stamp for his passport that said, you don't need a visa for Carasso. 
but to get to Karasa, you have to travel to other countries. In those days, there was something called a transit visa, because it wasn't just an airport lounge. So they ended up... Um, the, 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 the story was they ended up traveling the entire Russia, which in itself was a Kiddush. Russia was never eager to let people out. They were a one-way street. You went into Russia, you never came out. They traveled, they traversed the entire Russia with, with the Trans-Siberian uh, train. Express. They took a boat to Japan, to Kobe, Japan. From Japan, they now Shanghai. They were there five, six years until they came to America. And most of Torah today started from the people that were in that, that group. It's an extraordinary story, a lot of details, it's a real nice. But there's a piece there that really, really, um, it, it blew me. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure why. On the CD, they interviewed the people that were still around that had taken part in this. And one of them, his name is Zupni, <coughs> he has a, a nephew over here in, in Harnov. Um, you can look him up. He, um, that, that man was the main activist. The critical piece in the puzzle was getting a Japanese visa to go to Japan. Um, Japan was a player in the war. It was one, it was one of the members of, uh, you know, it was, it was allied to Germany. And Japan was not thrilled on letting people go through Japan. So the critical piece was to get Japan to sign off on it. So, Zupnik, I think it's Moshe. There were three brothers. There were another one. I think it was Moshe Zupnik. He's the ones interviewed. He's talking. He said he went to the. So, Japan opened up a consulate in Lithuania. Now, people used to think it was a miracle. It's still a miracle, but at least we know how the miracle worked. Nobody could figure out what did Japan have with Lithuania. Lithuania is a two by nothing speck that produces cucumbers in Lithuania. Nothing else. Nothing else produced in Lithuania. <laughs> And they, 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 and they opened up a consulate. He said something explained why. He, I, I never knew this piece. It's also fascinating. Japan and Germany made a shidduch. They, 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 they were allies. Why? What did Japan? What did Japan want out of this wedding? Japan wanted Germany to invade Russia. Japan did not like Russia. They had had a war, uh, the, 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 the Russo-Japanese War, and they. Um, th- their deal was that Germany would turn on Russia. Unfortunately, the Chos and Kala knew each other well, and Japan didn't trust Germany that much. They f- afraid that Germany would double-cross them. So Japan sent a consul to Lithuania to keep an eye out on the German army's movements so that the German army um, stick to their bargain, that, that they're not being that there was a war. Germany was no fool either. And Germany said, if Japan is opening a consulate in Lithuania, in Kovna, it's obviously not for cucumbers that they're looking to import. There's, they want to spy. So as a courtesy, they sent a Gestapo officer to be the secretary and help the Japanese consul in any way he can, as befits a friend. So they had a, a, a wolf and a she- two wolves living in, in, in a harmony in the Zutnik went into the Japanese consulate. And he asked him for a visa, a transit visa, a 10-day transit visa through Japan. The consulate, the consul told him, why should I give it to you? And Zupnik said 10,000 different reasons passed through his mind. And Sarkachpol gave him the right words in his mind, right words. And he told him to save our lives. So he thought a few minutes and he said, I'll do it. There was actually a documentary about this consul. He was famous. Um... It's, I'll do it for you. But he said, I have a problem. 
I'm leaving in 48 hours. We're closing up shop here. We, whatever it is, I don't need to be anymore. I'm not going to be anymore. He said, there's no stamp for Japanese visas. They're hand-painted with the characteristics. So he said, I, I can't do it myself. Just physically impossible to do that many. There are 2,400 passports needed to. So Zutnik said, show me how to do the brush strokes. I'll sit with you and do it. The Gestapo officer walked in, and he said, I'll help you also. <laughs> Serious. And he writes, this is, so Zupnik said it was the most surreal scene possible. <laughs> in an office in Kovner, there was a Japanese consul, a German staff officer, and Yeshiva Bacha, <laughs> sitting for 48 hours straight, painting visas onto passports. They finished 2,400 passports, and, and, uh, and the consul packed his bags. The German Gestapo officer, he, he, he turned around to Zupnik and he told him, I want you to know something. I knew one of your type of people and I have great respect for him and that's why I did it. I turned around and left. Now, um, the, the Gestapo officer could have put a stop to it instantly. His own life might have possibly been at risk. Certainly his career was at risk. Some German Jew had 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 made such a profound impression on this Gestapo officer that he was willing to risk everything to help people like him. We don't know who it is. No one knows who it is. In Shemayim, I don't think this, the German person knows who it is, and it comes and th there'll be a Bruch Mabon sign, the savior of me, Yeshiva, and Torah, and, and this person never knew about it. And what do I do? Well, your honesty, your integrity, your, your menschlichkeit, whatever it was, I don't know, you know, here's an unknown hero. And this is, this is, so somebody was able with his life to make an impression on another person like that. That's called the light unto nations. If, if people understand that, that, that it's different, um, you bec so anyone who has himself a spark of decency is affected. The same reason, at the end of the day, people who decide to become from, it's, it's wonderful that you have classes and yeshivas. It's awesome that you have question and answer session. That certainly does it. But more than anything else, it's meeting people that you say to yourself, you know, this is a lifestyle that I feel is, is noble, is different, is, is unique. It's, it's, it's something, it addresses something else. And being that type of person, if you know that you can't speak, imagine your workers in the office can't get you to talk about other people. You know, it's so, so, so for most people who don't have a, who don't have a very large spark of this, as I said, they'll write off as a curio. But for a person who says to themselves, you know, this is something different. I must be honest with myself. This is an emiss. That's, that's what the way we look. So, so perfecting our behavior, in, in, and today we do interact more with the granular we've interacted, w would make us a light for nations. Can I ask a follow-up on that? Sure, please. Um, I feel like there's one key difference between that Gestapo officer's experience in pre-war Germany and like our experience in the workplace, which is I just feel that people are naturally antagonistic towards religion and any sort of visual per perceptible religion whereas in Germany maybe it was more of a home, like a mixed thing where it wasn't such an affront it feels like an affront to someone just that I'm dressed a particular way or I'm speaking a particular way do you think that's not different? That's a I, I think it, it's, a, it's, a, it's another barrier but people will respect you if you don't 
if they if listen, it's not our business. That's their problem, not our. Problem. Being a line of nations, their issue. If if they if they um, it won't pick up on it. But if somebody gets past that and he says, you know, if if a person in the office he takes off his Shabbos and Yontif, but never shirks work other than that, and he works honestly and seriously and, and doesn't goof off, people begin to respect it. What we're doing, you can only communicate to the nakud and the person that is that is ruchnis, um, that 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 is nishamadik, and whatever he has, that he'll have to respond to that, or else he's selling him a bill that's not right, you know. When is quality more important than quantity, and vice versa, in the context of different areas of mitzvah observance, adherence to halacha, midos chasidas, hitter mitzvah, etc.? Can you give us some practical suggestions to improve the quality of our observance in different areas? <laughs> I, do you want the short questions for now? Maybe I'll put it in order. Okay. <laughs> um, there is a that says it. The Simon says, you know, that toiv ma'at kavana mi'harbi b'loi kavana. It's better a little without kav- with much kavana than a lot and so on. Generally speaking, we need to recognize a minimal level, like there's a minimal level of observance for all mitzvahs that we need to do. Whether you know, it, 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 how, as long as we do it at a minimal level of quality, that's a minimal requirement. And then, when we have a question of where to focus energies, then Generally speaking, quality trumps quantity. So if a person can learn fewer blot, but better, know it more clearly, and get it down better, um, that's preferable. If a person can focus on a few that fill us much more than the other ones, you should say, but these, you know, depending on the stage of development, but I'm talking the long term. So quality seems in Shaharach to be certainly more significant, except that um, there's a minimal level of uh, you know compliance to everything else. I think that would be the right way of describing it. How do we ascertain a healthy integration into Yiddishkeit as we continue to develop our amuna? I'm missing a piece on that. What, what do you mean? Okay, so let's go to the next one. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I would. Say, I think maybe. Maybe I, I would feel is it's it's. I think it's important to keep it on two separate tracks. In other words. To say that the more I'll believe, the more I'll do, it's not really... If a person has gotten to a certain point where he says, this is very serious, and I need to really think about it, the doing itself offers a feedback that of, of it feeling right, an intuitive feedback. It, it will. It's not a result. It, you know, when a person is doing a business deal, so you can say the commitment of the money, of the resources they're committing for this, should be commensurate with how well successful it will be. In Amuna, it, 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 you know, if a person has a general sense that this is something serious that I need, to, I, I have strong reasons to think that this is right. Doing that will help you. It will be one of the pieces of the puzzle to give you feedback. If it clicks into place and it feels right, it's another, um, I don't want to use the word proof, I don't want to use the word proof, but it's, it's another pillar buttressing it. So, so I definitely wouldn't make one contingent on the other. Uh, I mean, I hope that was a question, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it more important to pursue a career one loves or to focus on making enough money to support a family into our lifestyle? How does one afford orthodox observance in America while balancing work with other priorities such as learning, family, and community involvement? Okay. 
It's it's very very difficult. Um, it, it, the first thing is a person can't. I, I guess what what I would say is to avoid the extremes of both directions. To do something you really don't like, um, you can't do it. It's not going to work, even if it's making a lot of money. But if if you really don't enjoy it, on the other hand, you might particularly like anthropology. It's very difficult to be a firm anthropologist. The, between the, the salary and the lifestyle, it's not not gonna, you know, it, it's just not going to work. Um, a, a person, a person needs to to take the areas that he's good at, could enjoy, and find the niche of where he could make a decent living. Um, it's rough in the states. Uh, in it, the, the truth is, there there are options. There are communities where the, the cost of living. And uh, and the both in terms of real estate and therefore tuition and the lifestyle is is much easier. There are places like Cleveland, the places like Detroit that have wonderful communities that are um, Baltimore that that are really developed in terms of from kite, and yet the cost of living and the expectation level is much much closer to. To, to doable than New York is. New York is a frightfully expensive place, and, and everything goes up. You know, if, if, the, if the price of housing is X, tuition f- has to follow. People have a lifestyle that tends to be on the grander scale, and, and that's one of the issues. One of the things to balance when you're choosing community, and it is. It's very rough to balance all the different areas, um, but people do it. And, you know, Baruch Hashem, people do it successfully. It's a challenge, and I, I guess until you're more in it, you're not going to be able to really get a sense of it. Uh, what is appropriate for a person to ask for when davening? Is there anything that is not appropriate to ask of Hashem? One of the, I, I think if you follow the Ruach, one of the reasons why it's important for us to daven a fixed Nusach is because Chazal gave us guidelines to um, guidelines for what's right to ask. But let's give an example. Parnassa. If we were to ask for Parnassa, how would we phrase it in our words? Dear Lord, send us money. Lots of it. Prefer- preferably <laughs> cash. You know, and, 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 you know, the, you know, uh, you know P.S. regards all the wonderful tzaddikim and ganeidim. You know, like, like, like uh, but, but, but is that, is that a bracha? It's not. Most people who've gotten a lot of money quickly, unearned, have, have tanked in a big way, in a terrible way. The real, if, if, but Parnas is something we need to ask for. Money is something we need to ask for. Chazal gave us a formula for it. Borech Oleinu, Sashana Zeis, Vaskonu Svasol Teva. A person's ideal situation vis-a-vis Parnasa or, or the Baifin uh, Kloli is Bracha. I do something, Akadosh Baruch Hu is Mevarech Maisi Yadai. It flowers, it blossoms, it grows. So when I'm following the Nusach of Chazal, I'm also building in myself the right approach to it. The first thing I need to ask for is the das to understand things, to see things right. You know, even before I ask to do tshuva, the first thing I need to ask for is to understand. Because if I don't understand, whatever I do is of poor quality. Chazal gave us the things that we need to ask for. So following, the, if a person sticks, if you take a look in piyutim, 
the piyutim are the extra tefillas that you say on like Rosh Hashanah and Kippur or Slichas. They are notoriously difficult because they're poetic and, they, and there's a lot of license with the Hebrew in terms of both the words and the grammar. Um, they are also very, very beautiful and, and they're masterful. If, you, if you'll be able to learn enough Hebrew to get a sense of it, they're constructed very masterfully. But the one thing that sticks out constantly is that they used pieces of psukim and chazal to weave they didn't start with original poems. They're not original poems in the sense they start from scratch. The pieces that they used were psukim and chazal, and there was a sense of that, that that gives you an emis. So the construction of, of, of the piyot is original, but the pieces are not. And that's why if, 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 if you get used to davening the nusach of Anshagas Leola, Tehillim, if those are the words and phrases that come to mind, they, they help, so when we add a little bit of our own, we're going to have a, a more true sense of things. Uh, the Rambam seemed, uh, the Rambam was clearly deeply engaged with the secular thought of his day. Is there anything we could learn with, for our Torah observance or understanding from the, from the uh, modern advances of science? It is, first of all, it's interesting, the, the, the Rambam was a lot more as most uh, as most uh, in those days, the, the area that interested them a lot more was philosophy rather than science. Philosophy for a long time was thought to be more true than science because it dealt with fundamental principles and so on. Everything that happens in the world, we can definitely learn things from it. Akadosh Baruch Hu's imprint on the Bria is contains in itself internal, eternal truths. So we could. You need to know enough Torah and, 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 and to be able to get a sense of it. But there's certainly a lot of person can learn from it. It's, it's my, whatever Kaddish Prabhupada does carries the same imprint as, as what he wants. So what he wants and what he did are really the same. So from seeing how he constructed the Bria. Let's give an example of something. Just offhand a, a point. One of one of the axes that science that science used against Torah in the arguments for evolution is as follows: um, We find that all living things are almost identical. Why is that an argument for evolution? Um, because of the following: If I were God, the scientist said. I would make giraffes out of giraffiness and elephants out of elephantness and people out of peopleness. The fact that it comes from one place means that it just developed one from another. It's, a, it's, it's, it's not a scientific um, argument. It's, it's a philosophical argument. Now, the truth is that the, the line of reasoning is excellent. It's exactly what Hashem wanted. Hashem in the Bria displayed that from an echad there can be many. So all atoms are the same in a sense, and yet they're so different depending on how they're constructed. Yes, human, human, a, a human being and a cockroach are extraordinarily similar, but, but they're extraordinarily different. Had a Kachpongo created everything out of different things, that would be like an Avodah attitude, where everything is different. Mm. The idea that from one ray of light you could have a rainbow is, 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 is exactly Akadosh Baruch Hu's kavana in the Bria, that from the one 
much emanated. So, so here we have something which, yes, we, it used to be thought many years ago that every living being is entirely different. It's not. Um, they're, they're, they're constructed from almost the exact same patterns, and yet they're so profoundly different, which, which, which is a, when you think about it, you contemplate it, there's an, there's an extraordinary truth to it. That, that the world is, is a, a rebuild account. So, I, I think by definition, you have to find in everything of significant discovery a deeper truth to it. Do you have any tips to ensure one maintains proper kavana during davening? How does, how does one prevent his mind from wandering? What suggestions do you have that will enable us to be better daveners? Have a very good share on this one. It's a struggle for everybody. It's a struggle for, for people who are from. It's maybe more of a struggle for people who are from. I think getting comfortable with the words. In, in other words, if you, if you mentally have to keep translating, it's very cumbersome. It's difficult. It also doesn't allow you to get into it. I think learning, if you learn a small piece of one of the brachas in Shman Esra, to a degree... It's just like when you're learning a language. The sheet that used to be that you use your mind to translate things. So this is a cat, a cat is a chatul, a chatula, and, and so on. So every time you see the word chatula, chatula equals cat, this must be a cat. The more modern version of learning languages is immersion. Don't think of the word cat. Just say chatula. What happened? Chatula. And you, know, and, and, and you see the cat, and don't go picture cat, chatula, go chatula. And, and, and that's why immersion is considered to be a, a right way to language. If a person, you know, I think it's not difficult to take one bracha and to repeat enough, and then when you say it the next time, say it with the feeling and the words in Hebrew, try to skip the English, and see if you can't take one of the brachas that speaks most to you, each person, and then see if you can get that, and it, and it becomes, it, then it, if it becomes a positive experience, then, then you want to look. Then you look forward. The mind daydreams to escape things that are boring, dreary, or unpleasant. If you have positive davening experience, then it'll reinforce it. And, 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 and yeah, it's a struggle. It'll be a struggle for all your life. It's a struggle for everyone. Right. Okay. Are Rambam's thirteen principles of faith fundamental and essential to Orthodox Jewish observance? Are there any differing opinions? Were, were these principles unanimously agreed upon before he laid them out at, in his time? Um, okay. The, the the you know since in learning you can always split words and hairs. It, 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 when we talk about disagreeing with the thirteen fundamental principles, there are three words here, and we can disagree or agree with each one of them. Thirteen fundamental principles. <laughs> each one of them allows a that there that there is a concept of beliefs that are absolutely fundamental and necessary, the Mishnah says. The Mishnah says that there are people called minim, apikorsim, and they don't have a chekom haba. So there definitely are categories of people that we would call, we wouldn't call a heretic. What they are doesn't really, it, it, a few of them it says in the Gemara, a few of them doesn't say. So there's minim, there's apikorsim, the Gemara, so, so coming from the point of, well, let's start earlier than that. In the Torah, believing in Avodah Zarah puts you on the out. In, in Chazal, um, not be being a, a heretic of some sort, the Chazal have three or four different terms to describe that. 
one would assume that if there are three or four terms to describe it, referring to different issues. So there are at least three or four issues. So one question is, what are those issues? So those are principles, those are f- issues of belief that are mandated. So that we have in the Gemara. Um, what does it mean? So this might be just another mitzvah. We could use this as, like, just like Chaza, it's just another mitzvah. And, um, and the, the idea that these are fundamental is a logical construct. In other words, it makes sense that a person could be keeping all of Torah and have an issue with kashras, and he's keeping 612 mitzvahs, not this mitzvah. But if a person is keeping Torah but doesn't believe that it's divine or important, one could say that he's missing the entire boat. So fundamental principles would mean that they're significant in the entire gamut of Torah. I think that everyone would agree to that. Thirteen principles, some of them seem to be baffling to us, not that they're important or not important, but if we're looking for um, principles versus details, um, we could have had different ones. And we could have um, we, we could have come up with three or four that would include the 13. So there are many who argue, are baffled, I would say, why 13, 14? I can reduce it to three. Three is, most, many at Rishon reduce it to three or four, such as belief in God, with all the subdivisions of what a God is, and so on and so forth. Two is God having communicated His will to us, through Torah, through prophets, etc. Three, um, that there is divine interaction, or keeping the mitzvahs, and reward and punishment, and ultimately Mashiach and Chesamesim, all of it being subsumed under it. So on the number 13, um, there certainly has been disagreement. Again, not disagreement whether or not we're supposed to believe these things. Today, it's become modern to try to find sources that disagree with one or the other principles. Um, and this, there's a literature on it today. Um, the the uh, I, much of it is not right. Much of it is shoddy. I think. I, I don't want. I don't. I don't want to go into uh, the examples of it. But I'm not aware that that there are any real shitas that disagree with any one particular principle and believe it to be not right. Um, I know. I, I know that they quote this, that, the other thing. If you start looking exactly what it says and trying to look at it precisely, it's not what it says. It's it's become very fashionable to say that somebody believed in corporeality of God. It's not true. Um, I I don't want to go into details. It's just a whole. It's it's become a huge literature on this. That you know, at the end of the day, I'm not. There are no serious shitas that disagree per se with the validity of any one of these principles. They, they, they can agree and disagree. Does it make it up in chorus? They can agree. For instance, the Ravid says, if you believe in God's corporeality because you're misled by psukim, many fine people have done that. So the Ravid's point is that we can't fault a person, but he's not disagreeing with it, um, and so on. So, so, so I would say it's hard for me to find any disagreement that, about Mashiach. Yeah, there's a, one that Yamadik Mar says Mashiach will not come anymore. Hello. A, a hello. Who it is, what he held, why he held, but we don't pass like that, no, and to the best of my knowledge, 
Nobody. So to point out a Hillel who said it, and it's not clear what he meant. He said, What exactly means it's, it's, it's open-ended? I don't think there are any serious <coughs> shittas and disagreements today. Can you shed some light on the light uh, on the concepts of culpability and punishment, both for actions and thoughts? Lack of a... Uh, maybe that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what it. What, I mean, what it can shed light on constant culpability and punishment. Yeah, a person is responsible for what he does, <laughs> and, and, and lack of awareness we have with mitzvahs or lack of understanding of the intricacies of can lead one to transgress. Are these considered full fledged innocence or full fledged obligation? Okay. There's a call of God. It says, "Ain't a kaddish baruch hu ba betrunya briosam." Kaddish baruch hu is not unfair to his to his to to, to his um, brios. There was um, there was a, a, um, a, a, a anything that would seem to us unfair. A person never had a chance to learn. He's just beginning to learn the halachas. He's not going to be held accountable for something that he honestly could not have done. Um, if somebody's been around for a long time and takes it easy and he doesn't learn hilchos Shabbos because he's just laid back and he transgresses Shabbos, they'll be kind to him. There's a story. Somebody there was once a very simple. You know, cobbler, tailor, fill, fill in the the, 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 the the missing description in Yerushalayim. He was once sitting and he and he was listening to a simple shirin and Yaakov. And Yaakov is all of the Gemara's agaritas. And he has the rabbi say that when a person comes to Shemayim, they're going to ask him, "Did you learn Kabbalah? Can you tell me some basic things about Kabbalah?" So this person got frightened out of his wits. He was a good yid. He davened every day, three times a day. He said his tilim. He worked hard. He was honest. He, you know, he, he gave his kids good chinuch, but he never, never learned Kabbalah. He actually learned Gemara either. And, but now it says that when you come to Shemayim, the first question will be, they're going to ask you about the piece of our cover. Did you look? So he was very shaken. And he went to ask Yabeshul Leib Diskin, the Rabbi Yishlaim, what's going to be? He says, you know, I'm going to come to Shemayim. Then he asked me if I know any Kabbalah. I know zero. So Yabeshul Leib said, don't worry, he says. They know which questions to ask to which people. You know, it, 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 and Akash Baruch Hu is not mm-hmm. unfair. It's not. It's not. It's not. A, it's not out to get you. So if a person, if a person will be held accountable for not having learned what he could have learned, and he should have learned, then we're accountable. If if we're not, then they want to own us. Regarding the six constant mitzvahs, what does it mean that they are constant? How much conscious attention do they require? Can they all be observed simultaneously? If so, how? Do you have any practical tips for us to improve our observance of these mitzvahs? Would you prefer if Rabbi Rosenblum edited these questions more? It's not much. It, it, it's it, the six constant mitzvahs. It's hard to believe that you need to actively think about it all the time because you couldn't think about learning. You couldn't think about other people. If I were to give if I were to give an example for this, someone who's an EMT or someone who's a soldier is drilled with, with, with a lot of emergency situations. For instance, if somebody starts shooting, he's supposed to be able to respond almost reflexively. He's supposed to be able to drop to the ground, do whatever soldiers do, um, and so on. Uh, an EMT, somebody starts choking, he's supposed to instantly be able to react. Now, does he walk around all day long repeating to himself, what do I do if, what do I do if, what do I do if? No. It's on his subconscious level, but at a place 
it's 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 drilled and refreshed enough at, at occasional intervals so that for all practical purposes it's always active. Avos Hashem doesn't mean walking around all day thinking you love a kashvarku, but it means that when an opportunity arises for Kiddush Hashem, which is sort of a sniff of Avos Hashem or, or anything else, your your reaction is reflex-like. A person learns a lot about it, develops the meat in himself. It's it's six mitzvahs because they always need to be... Um, it's like when you open a computer, there's a bunch of programs that open up and they... I forgot what... what it's, it's it's like laying weight. It's, it's like programs that are not just on the disk, but they're already active. They're not active-active, but they're, they're there to be, you know, in the start menu. I think startup menu is called. Um, that's what the, that's what that's what I think those mitzvahs are. So, person needs to be osik with it intensely enough and refresh it periodically enough, so that when the occasion comes up that these things are tested, the reaction is instant, as opposed to you know a, a process where I have to think about well, what is the mitzvah here and what do I need to do and so on and so forth. That I think is the. Okay. You actually finished the list. Wow, that's that's great. What's our, oh, it's Anna Saunders from Yeah, I, I have a question, yeah. um, as long as we're done with the list. Um, I, I remember, I forget what the source was, and I'm sure you know it, but um, there was an argument between two sides, whether or not it would have been better to have been born or not. Shaman right? Hillel, yeah. It's Hillel. And in the end, they determined that it would have been better to not have been born, right. um, because there's just too many, the way I understood it was there's too many opportunities to mess up. Right. Um, and then the only reason they say is, well, God put us here anyway, so it's not like we have the choice. Um, but today, it seems like we do have the choice, not whether or not to not be born, but whether to become religious. Like, if Kiruv did not exist, then a person, at least in theory, wouldn't be faulted for not keeping mitzvahs. Um, and on the flip side of that, they wouldn't be faulted, at least for averas that are religious in nature, maybe logical in nature, they would be, but for, for a lot of things, they would not be faulted for not having do, been doing. That sort of is the equivalent of having whether or not to be born, and they, they determine that because there's so many opportunities to mess up, it would have been better to not have been born. By that same logic, wouldn't it have been better to just not become religious in the first place, to remain ignorant, and not have now the mitzvahs on you where there's so many opportunities to mess up, you know, even if there's the opportunity to do well, that's what Hillel and Shai might settled on, is it would have been better to not have been born. So, so I mean, there are a bunch of nikudas in slate, but first of all, um, I think we need to keep a proper proportion. There's a halacha that esses doholosa say. Now, if a person has a choice of positive mitzvah versus an avera, this is a, 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 a sexual halacha, we do, and there's no way to do both, one is one is docha the other one. So, um, for instance, if a person needs to wear tzitzis and only has shatnas tzitzis, then he can wear the shatnas because as is docha losase. Hmm. Ramban says someplace the reason is a losase for an avera there's a kapara, for a missed opportunity there's no kapara because the opportunity is missed. It's true that we can mess up a lot, but if if we have a chance to do good, that stays forever. Gehenim is a process that brings you to perfection to get rid of imperfections. There's no, there's nothing really that can make up for missed opportunities. The the also in terms of of um, life struggles, 
honestly, that's not way. If, if, if someone were to come to you and say, "Listen, you have a kid here. You have a choice. You you can you can give him ideas in his head that he should try to become a highly successful doctor, lawyer, business, whatever it is, and he should try to get into the best colleges and and and, and, and fight against best firms, so on. They'll make a lot of tension and so on, and you know because he'll always be eager to push ahead and so on, and there'll be failures on the way, or you can train him to be a pizza delivery boy. No competition, no no difficult tests, very kind of certain tranquility. Um, you, you would say life is about achievement, and there's a price in terms of struggle. We honestly, you know, given the choice, we're, we're ambitious, and that's right to us. To say to ourselves, to send ourselves to a life of non-accomplishment because it doesn't come at a price. It doesn't sit well with us. Nobody would want that type of life. Somebody would offer you that now and say, you know, you're, you're a bright kid and you went to nice schools and you this and that. How about just dropping a whole lifestyle? It'd be something very simple, very, very low, 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 middle class, no competition, no competitors. That. A person's, the desire to become somebody is core to our, to our personality. That's why, and like I said before, have a solution, lack of mitzvahs don't. And that's, the, that's why, that's the underlying um, rationale behind that stuff. Okay. What time do we have? Okay, good. At 1.15 or now? 1.15. 1.10. We can do it now. Can we dub now? Thank you very much, Rabbi. Okay.